and welcome to the third season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. Before we get started today, a reminder that our annual season finale episode, which always features multiple guests from the season, will be streamed live on our Facebook page on Monday, December 21st at 7 p.m. Listeners can submit questions in advance or call in directly to the webcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast for more information. My guests today are Rachel Dean and David Brush. Rachel is a New York City-based composer, pianist, and music director, and David is a director, music director, vocal coach, and librettist and lyricist. Their musical, The Anxiety Project, recently released a cast recording. We're going to talk today about the year 2020 in musical theater. Hey, Rachel and David, thank you so much for being back on the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having us back. Oh my gosh, yes, please, what an honor for us. Well, we are going to get started with the get to know our guest questions. Uh, Which musical has had the greatest impact on you? I'll start because mine's super easy. I always know the answer to this question. So for me, it's Godspell for sure. And there's a number of reasons. There's some personal ones, just my relationship with my family and my late father and all of that is certainly connected to it. But I think also Godspell was the first time as a kid that I realized, oh my gosh, like you could tell a story with lyric and with song. I think that was my first connection to understanding that that could happen in that way and so because of that Stephen Schwartz has always been sort of an incredible hero of mine and um, I think that's probably what set me on that path for sure so for me that's Godspell. That's awesome. Um, I laughed to myself as I decided that this was my answer but I think it's Sweeney Todd um, which is the same answer as my like first favorite musical because um, so I played piano in high school for our musicals there and this was one that I played piano for and um, I just spent so much time with the material and sort of got to know its inner workings in a way that I hadn't had a chance to or hadn't had like meteor musicals like that in the past to listen to and the kind of material and content that that show engages with while not particularly like it's not necessarily the most relevant to our lives today. It's an interesting thing to like think about, but at the time as a high schooler, I was so into it and it wasn't something that I would have been drawn to in the past. And so um, I think that was sort of the, the musical that like got me sort of interested in musicals in general. And so I feel like that has to be my answer for the most impactful musical. I forget if we um, talked about this last time uh, when you mentioned it, but I, I love that you did Sweeney Todd in high school. <laughs> yeah, we did Sweeney Todd, Little Shop of Horrors, Chorus Line. Like our our directors wow. really pushing. Yeah, he wouldn't do Rent, but <laughs> <laughs> still, you got you got a lot of a lot of the the dark ones in there. <laughs> yeah, that was great, Danny Yuska. 
shout out to our high school trauma <laughs> jerks. Um, is there a musical you feel like you should know, but you don't, or that you should have seen, but you haven't? I'll start that one. Oh, David was about to bring No, I was chilly was not. No. <laughs> I'm waiting. Um, so I feel like I shouldn't even admit this in public, but I have never seen The Music Man, mm-hmm. and I'm from Iowa. And so that's like the only musical that <laughs> stage in Iowa. And some people, sometimes when they find out I'm from there, they'll like quote a bit of it to me or something, and I'll be like, what's that? <laughs> so that's that's my shame that's secret. that's a really good answer to this question though <laughs> i mean mine is more contemporary but i mean it also rachel and i recently talked about the show together and i just don't know anything about it but i really want to know in the green because mm. um, i know so little about it and i really want to listen to that so have you all heard that Did you know you mean um Grace McLean's yeah, musical. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I saw it and actually I just um I just bought the uh the album on iTunes or Apple Music, whatever it's called now. Right. And um and just finished uh listening through it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't listened to it yet, but I did see it and I thought it was so beautiful yeah. and impactful. Yeah. The the music is really um just really interesting to listen to and and yeah, in the theater, both in the theater and um, just as like a listening experience. Right. Uh, okay, sold. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's great that they have that album now, so you can just you can just right. listen to it, and you know, I mean, mm-hmm. visually it was very cool, but you, I think you would get a good sense of it from from the album for sure. Great. Cool. Um, what is the most interesting thing you've learned from a musical? So you know this is a really hard question. Does everyone tell you this? Uh, I actually don't use this one very often. <laughs> oh, it's just on us. I mean, I've used it a few times, but not, not as often as the, some of the other ones. If, without pinning down certain shows, I think I learned about um, stages of grief. Hmm through this art form, I think. And I guess the first thing I sort of like return to is Fiddler. Um, in terms of sort of understanding how we come to terms with who we are in our family at various stages of our life. So for me, I think that's what it is. And maybe that's also me hearkening back to Godspell and my dad and all of those things. But just an understanding about how, how we embrace group in a way that um, is human, but also really relatable and personal. And I, I don't know that there's another art form that does that as well. Yeah, great. Yeah, I don't know that I have a specific answer for this one either, except the, the more general thing that I would say is like how complicated people can be mm-hmm. and how you can emphasize, emphasize, empathize with complicated people. Um, I I love that. I think sometimes it, it goes to the point of unnecessary complication in, in um, genres like TV and film often, but it feels like in musicals, there's not a lot of room for empathizing too much with a character that is not in the, the protagonist or, or the person's the villain. But um, just getting a moment of, of musical understanding from everyone, it's, it's really interesting that the form sort of makes you stop and, and listen to each person that gets to sing. 
Um, and I really like that. I appreciate having to, to broaden my horizons in that way. Mm-hmm. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state that you didn't think was possible to get to? I feel like the answer to this question for me is also the answer to the question, what scene do I wish I had written? Hmm, that's interesting. I did not. <laughs> and for me, it is Telephone Wire. Oh, yeah. I think the emotional journey of those three minutes is pretty staggering, actually. You know, this understanding that uh, I have to have this really, really important conversation with you, Dad. And I have, oh, I don't know, maybe four minutes to do it. Right. And then ultimately, the resolve of that number is I didn't have that conversation with you. Mm-hmm. There's the heartbreak, right? That's the heartbreak of it. It isn't, you know, in, in a less established writer, in a less qualified writer, right? Yeah. That would have ended up with the confession, right? Right? Because that's the safe way, right? It's what I would have done. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's what I would have done. So listening to it, I think, oh my gosh, you opted to say, I'm going to tell the audience my confession, but not the person I should tell. That's remarkable writing to me. So for me, I think that's the piece that feels like the emotional stakes are so high um, because the writer has forced them to be high. Like in a novel or in a film, they may not have been so high, but musical theater afforded the the, the height of those stakes. That's great writing. Mm. Yeah, I love that song. Um, the moment that I thought of was, uh, speaking of complicated characters and speaking of octet, <laughs> the song Solo from that show, which is the one about uh, being addicted to internet dating mm. and uh, the incel community and how, like, the broken people in that. And then, so, like, just getting a window into that guy's life where he's just like, uh, a woman was helping me in the grocery store and she touched my back and it felt like sparkles and strawberries and is this what other people get to feel all the time and then him you know being drawn into this like really dark community and like the the world of porn addiction and then and then the girl that he's talking to on the dating app being like well how do I turn him down in a way that doesn't further his progression into a potentially violent deadly right murderous place it's just so there's so many facets there and i think as as someone who sort of grew up around grew up around but you know experienced sort of the world of online dating and is terrified by (laughs) but also like sympathizing with the people who are drawn to the incel movement that that song really 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 gets me well let's move on to our topic which is a kind of a continuation of I guess where when we were last speaking I guess that was almost two years ago the episode we did previously um on mental health and in musical theater and you know I I love that you know we're doing another one in this in this year um of 2020 what are I I mean what are your thoughts on 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 this year and, and, and speaking about this topic and in musical theater at this time. For me, I feel like it's weirdly prescient that, you know, Rachel and I have spent so much time working on a piece that's about mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 
suddenly we're thrown into this um, insane year where, like it or not, and frankly, I like it, um, we're talking about it more publicly mm-hmm. and more prominently, and it's it's a leading story instead of page three, and I think that's exciting and great. My concern, I guess, is that mental health issues get buried in the mix of the chaos of the news. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And until you said that, I hadn't even realized it. I would, like, see a headline that's like, oh, and also depression is growing at an alarming rate. And I'm like, Uh yeah, I bet it is. But, like, no one's centering (laughs) that story. Of course not. I think it's really interesting to see and to be navigating how everyone is reacting so, so differently. Right, so I know a lot of people who are like, I'm gonna throw myself into my work and I'm gonna like make all of these awesome Zoom things, which I think is great. And then uh, there are people like me who were like, I would like to not create anything yeah. for the next six months and then we'll see. Right. <laughs> um, and just like, so it's been interesting to see the industry kind of go from, well, uh, Shakespeare wrote King Lear in quarantine who hey don't feel like you have to write your King Lear right now right <laughs> I think that, that balance has been hard to struggle with because not writing King Lear doesn't get you new stories right writing King Lear does so I think being able to sort of lift up the it's okay to, to be quiet right now and reflect mm-hmm. being a theater artist does not mean that your entire life has to be theater. I think we sort of encourage people to have this obsession with this the theater work, and then you know it just, of course, becomes unhealthy because no one should be throwing their entire lives into one aspect of their life because then that's just not a life. Takes on time, right? You can watch his, you can watch him age <laughs> if you follow his career trajectory, right? You yeah. can watch it happen, and that's exciting to me that you watch an artist not only the artist age but the work age with them that's exactly right i think sondheim is is a really good example to bring up just because he i feel like he doesn't specifically write about mental health but he does write about a lot of characters who are dealing with anxiety and like um these huge things happening happening to them like to segue into what musicals uh, you know are helping like might help you get through a a time like this or a time of high anxiety and a time of high uncertainty um I feel like Sondheim's were (laughs) like is helpful because he does he does look at characters with anxiety and it's actually really interesting that you say that to look at like a like you can kind of trace I mean I think into the woods which I watched like early on again, early on in, um, in quarantine or in the, in the shutdown back in, I guess, March. Um, and just like the, the way all those characters are dealing with like this impossible situation that's been thrust on them. I mean, in act mostly in act two, um, it, it really reminded me of, of like the times we're in now where like we have this, we have this um, the, this this situation that has been thrust upon us, and uh, how do we deal with it? Like, w- like what are our coping mechanisms? Like, like who deals with it better than others? And you know, and how do you 
deal with that and um but then you have something like uh company say which is earlier on in his his career where um you know it's not a huge event like an into the woods but it's still characters with like these anxieties that they're that they're dealing with and that they can't um but they don't how much do they actually deal with them in in that <laughs> in that span of time that's interesting that you mentioned into the woods i think act two into the woods is the perfect metaphor for COVID 2020 right i mean because <laughs> I mean, it's a whole bunch of people together who are dealing with one situation, one giant, right, as it yeah. were, and are deciding who should be sacrificed, right? right. So we're doing, like, who is worthy of sticking around? Is it the mask wearers, the non-mask wearers? Right. Is it the young, is it the old, right? We're all making choices, whether we like it or not, and they're terrible choices, but it's exactly what sometimes said, right? I mean, that, that lyric in Act 2, she says, is, I'm the witch, yeah. World, right. 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 <laughs> so we're all sort of absorbing that moment that we're coming to a reckoning about um, of the ugliest parts of ourselves, right? In a lot of ways, but I think that that also means that we're coming to an understanding of the better part of ourselves too. I mm-hmm. think that balance is what tragedy, hopefully, right? Like calls out in all of us is that in the understanding of the tragic parts of ourselves right. we come to a reckoning with the good parts of ourselves I mean we hope that's true I guess yeah no it's funny because I feel like a lot of times people just want to do act one of into the Wo- or watch act one of into the woods they don't want to they don't want to watch or deal with act two and I, now I feel like I'm just living in act two like it's just only act two all the time <laughs> Yeah. I heard an NPR story about someone who had only watched the first half of Sound of Music because it was like a tube video. Uh, she, so she grew up only watching the first one and someone was like, said something about the Nazis and she was like, what Nazis? Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. I mean, there are Nazis in the beginning. They just haven't like really acted yet. Um, yeah. That is funny though too because I also grew up with two tapes of, it's the same thing. I grew up with kind of like two tapes of the sound of music and I pretty much stopped um midway through but I then eventually watched <laughs> the whole thing a little later on yeah I mean that's another example of just like a world a world coming to it an end of how they how they know it um a little more like specific and like just that was a specific like moment in time but still I can see like they you know they have to they have to they have to leave but it's like same thing like you have to just you have to change you have to adapt to you know a new a new situation but yeah along with with into the woods and other uh, are there other musicals i guess that you know we you feel that kind of encapsulate uh or at least remind you of or make you think about this this time period I don't know if it reminds me I guess it does I would say they come from away in some Mm. ways because it starts with the tragedy and then you see how people deal with it and um, it's so hard because we can't we come together in this crisis by staying apart and that is so hard I know (laughs) so 
I'm finding solace in uh, anything that sort of shows the better side of people, like you were saying, David. I think I've been watching too much of the news and just sort of seeing a lot of the ugly side of humanity. And so anything that's reminding me that people have the power to come together for the greater good is, is really vital to me right now. And I haven't been seeking it out super um, proactively, but I, I hope that others are and that I can follow their example, especially after this call. <laughs> yeah, Come From Away is good. I That was actually the last Broadway show I saw before the, the shutdown. Oh. Um, and I'm, I'm glad it was. It wasn't the last theater I saw, but it was the last Broadway show I saw. And, um, and yeah, it, I mean, it's definitely about, I mean, also like just these big moments in history. And when we, we look back, um, on these times and, you know, that it's in, cause you know, having lived through nine 11 in the city and then having that show there to help, help me like look back at it in a certain way, um, like there are points of, in that show that are kind of triggering and then there are points, but it also, um, it definitely helps like process that time, even like 20, almost 20 years on. And yeah, I mean, it, maybe there's not room for like a show immediately after the pandemic about this time, but like there's going to be a similar come from away, like in 15 years, you know, in a different way. You know, for me, it's not even been individual shows. Mm-hmm. There have just been song moments for me mm-hmm. that I know very well, but that hit me differently. Yeah. And the most recent one for, well, two recent ones was Brian Stokes Mitchell did a re-recording of um, Make Them Hear You mm-hmm. um, for my time, a show that, my gosh, I know like the back of my hand, but yeah. hearing that again now felt like it was written two days ago. And to me, right, I mean, that's the great legacy of great work, right, is that it, it, it rebounds, you know, from decade to decade to decade and feels relevant again. And I think in a new way, something that's been written, I'm a huge fan of the Banksons. And um, if, you, if, if you've heard the Keep Going song, yeah. what I sort of love about that isn't even that it's, genius in its lyric which in a lot of ways it really is but it's the fact that we're listening to something that was invented on the spot and someone hit record and we get to hear what that sounded like on the spot like there was no crafting no one stepped down and wrote a lyric no one stepped down and wrote a score two people got in a room and created something and let us all watch them create it yeah that to me that's very definitively 2020 mm. and if that's what comes out of it that we're we're able to let let down our walls our creative walls um in terms of letting people into the process that oh what a, what a beautiful thing that would be right yeah no i think um i think the keep going song is such a great example i watched the i watched the whole hour-long show of it um you know loved it and then the keep going song the song um became very popular which i was so happy about but yeah what i love about that it is really feels like it's coming from like as you said like in the moment um this is my emotion this is where i am emotionally in this moment i'm trying to figure it out i don't like really know you know but this is where i am 
This is the keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going on, keep going on song. This is the keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going on, keep going on song. This is the keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going on, keep going on song. I am Abigail. And this is Sean, and we're so glad that you turned this on, and welcomed us into your home, and you are welcome into our home. We're in Dayton, Ohio. We're in Sean's parents' house. Sean's parents' house. We were in Louisville when the shit hit, and we packed our three-year-old into a car. We drove kind of far. We drove here, and we've been so lucky and blessed to be safely and we thought we'd be here for like 10 days tops what did we know what did we know we thought we knew a lot we thought we knew a lot well that's a good segue also into just work that's being created now like in this time and and um you know new work um either created just in spite of the pandemic just you know within within covid times and or work that um really em is embracing the pandemic like the keep going song i don't know if you guys uh watched um ella rose cherry and brandon james Gwynn's um how to survive the end uh -huh. of the world um and i just what i really loved about that piece was just how it it was about another emotional um, tragedy being experienced within the emotional tragedy of the pandemic times. I don't want to give too much away about the what actually what happens or, or the reveal, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I loved about it. It's like this. Um, what isolation does to um, people who are already going through something. Yeah. yeah in, in my attachment to that show, Brandon is, is also associated with the piece called Small Town Story mm. that I really, really love, which was um, a fictionalized, quote unquote, fictionalized um, imagining of a high school and the drama of the community when the high school musical was offered up as rent right so he was capitalizing on a moment so it's not surprising at all that he would have a piece like this right that would certainly engage in this way and that's what i thought too i thought well everything about it felt like the lines between um the script and whether there was a script or not mm -hmm. was very blurred for me. And to me, that was exciting. I, mean, I, I didn't really know, you know, how much of this was invented, how much of this is literally on the page, and what's, what's scripted and what's not. That's an exciting thing to come out of this time for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved that um, it felt like... I, like, forgot that we have forced social distancing rules and stuff in terms of how we can get together and film and perform because it just was so natural in the form that was presented and it felt like it wasn't a conceit 
and it wasn't trying to pretend that uh, it wasn't a Zoomsicle. Right. And so all of that, it just it was really nice. It was really refreshing, and I I have no doubt that it was coming from a really genuine place, and so I I really liked it. Yeah, Ella Rose, um, former podcast guest, um, uh, wrote the uh, book and lyrics, and Brandon wrote the, I think, music and also wrote lyrics. Um, and uh, yeah, it's all done um, through like a, a phone, um, like a phone screen. Um, and it's like only 24 minutes long. And it was also surprising to me just like how much emotional ground uh could be covered just within the 24 not that i should be surprised considering how much emotional ground can be covered like in a song you bring up a really good point which is part of what we've already defined right is this art form is that it must be two hours right it has mm. to be two hours there must be an intermission there has to be an arc from big from beginning of act one to end of act one like those are all conceits that 2020 has allowed us to throw out the window and say, why? Right. Why? Is that how they've all been defined? Like, who cares? If that's 24 minutes long, right? I mean, and there are a lot of producers and a lot of casting agents and what have you who will freak out about that idea. But the truth is, we have to be able to adapt to that understanding that the structure of the art form is what's at stake now. It's yeah. not, it's not the lack of creativity or the lack of new material what we're fighting for is the dismantling of structure mm. right yeah, this, yeah. Idea that this is how it has to structure right and there's a time for all that and i'm a i'm a big fan of golden age structure i'm a big fan of 2000s onward structure those were all important things that had to happen and they're beautiful mm. but we we need to be open to the fact that not everything has to have Act one ends with act one. Overture. Right? Like, like we have to be open to the fact that that is in the structure we have to abide by. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I guess it's like we don't really have too much yet that's about the pandemic, you know, that's shows that are written about this time. And that is something that is written in this time, about this time, that I think like achieves that very hard. That's like a very hard line to walk, I think. And I think it achieves it very well and not being like too on the nose or too like um we can't talk about this yet because we're in the middle of it you know um but um so I really yeah I really like that about about it and how it it all I think it also brings up the fact you know mental health wise that everybody experiences this isolation differently based on like what's going on in their in their lives and their history and i think that was a it's also just like a great window into that um into that idea i also just realized that part of why i liked it was because it's not about the pandemic it takes place in the pandemic right but that's just a backdrop for what else is happening which i think is going to be a really crucial thing for people who want to engage with this year as a theatrical device yeah no, I think that's a really good point, too. Um, I mean, I don't want to watch a musical about the pandemic. I know about anybody else. This isn't interesting <laughs> at all. So and maybe there will come a time where that's true. But you know what I want to do? I, in March, April, May, June, whenever this all transpires and we're all sort of back hugging each other, I just want to laugh. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
seen that a lot. Like even post nine eleven, like the first big hit post nine eleven. I might be wrong, so wiki me on this, but <laughs> was hairspray. Yeah, you know? and I think there's some reality to that. that there was something about that that felt both Americana and also comedic and um, distancing. I think there's something about that that's, yeah. that's valuable. I, I think, think. It, was it hair, Hairspray and or the, I think the producers was in there too or sometime around then. I don't know if it was, yeah. I don't know if it was before or after, but I know that was like a right around that time, um, which is the same idea, which is the same like, you know, silly, like, we just need to laugh yeah and then um killer party a, a killer party yes, a killer party which Whoa. i okay so i haven't finished it yet i have a few episodes left so no <laughs> no big reveals no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers um but you know we don't want to spoil it for our listeners either so but um i know i'm i there are how, how many episodes nine um yeah i think i'm on like episode seven or i'm, I'm very close to finishing it <laughs> but um yeah so what do you so you guys have finished it i assume what did you guys think of of this piece yeah just speaking of trying to like trying to make things that make people laugh i think the times review was like it didn't aim too high and that's just what we needed <laughs> <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but it was, yeah, it was like, we know nothing spectacular is going to be made, really. Yeah. do Zoom-wise, and so maybe we should take our, like, hoity-toity selves down a notch and just do something goofy, and that's what I really liked about it. I thought I had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, outside of 2020, Killer Party would not have gotten the press that it did. Right. Yeah. And to me, that's the shame. Mm -hmm. Right, because those things deserve it too, and it shouldn't take a pandemic for us to recognize those just because they weren't like that. that to me, that's the shame of it, because it is. It's charming and it's hilarious and it's well produced. Yeah. Um. So, to me, the, the recognition is well deserved, and I hope that it carries in post-pandemic. Honestly, I think part of my joy in watching it is just like seeing how they do it in a way like which is also just really fun because they have like nobody except for people who I think I guess live together like nobody's actually in the same room but they film it <laughs> like they are which is I don't know I just find that really fun and um which has nothing to do with like the writing of it but I, <laughs> I just like really enjoy that aspect of it for some reason and um but I just also like like the dialogue is super silly and the songs are silly but the songs are actually like really good songs i mean yeah. they have really good writers on it i'm not like surprised but um but for something like this i feel like you would maybe expect it not to also have like amazingly well-written songs but it does jason halland wrote music nathan tyson wrote lyrics uh kate kerrigan wrote book and Rachel Axler also I think also wrote the book or she's credited as writer so <laughs> I assume she wrote I know I assume she wrote book or just assisted with writing writing duties it's also I also just like speaking of structure just like really like the 
this episodic format for musicals and um I can't think of too many other musical films musical things that that are have used this or are using this but I I just really like that like we're gonna split this up into nine chunks each one is gonna have a little arc or focus on like a specific character in this larger uh thing it's so great for the way that we engage with content mm-hmm. right now as a society i think 36 questions did that too oh um, yeah yeah mm-hmm. successfully and then i think of like tv shows like crazy ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. and now if you can count it zoe's extraordinary playlist right so i wouldn't say that that's a musical right proper. yeah the other two things that I know of mm-hmm. that are happening that I wanted to shout out at least right now. Yeah. Um, a couple of NYU alums formed this uh, company called Rip Beer Occasion Theater Company. Um, and they're sort of trying to democratize the, the theater experience and, and make things that feel more truthful than necessarily commercially uh, oriented. And um, they had this series called The Living Room Stories this summer, where they did like a series of new 10 minute plays and they had an audience, or not an audience, um, a small cast that quarantined together and then put them all on live in someone's living room Mm. um, to stream to an audience. Yeah, yeah. That was a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing that I I saw that I thought was incredibly successful possibly the most successful Zoom musical thing that I've seen um, was an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice by Sam Capps and Annie Dillon. Um, it was featured in the NYC Summer Festival. Mm-hmm. And so they, they'd already been working on the musical, but they converted it into a Zoom format and they like brought on a director and, and did Zoomography where like they had, you know, this person look left and that one look right. So they look like they're looking at each other and you hand the wine glass over. Right. Quote, unquote. Um, <laughs> And it was just, it was so, like, self-deprecatory, and uh, yeah, I didn't take itself seriously, and I, like, I genuinely laughed at it so many times. I just thought that they did a great job. So, I, I think, I kind of, I'm a Grinch about Zoomsicles. I don't think that everything should be turned into one. Right, right. <laughs> I don't think that we should, just because we have, we're missing making theater, it doesn't mean that everything needs to turn into that. Because that can sort of suck the joy out of it too, in a way. But um, I, this was such a great counterexample of that, mm. and so I really enjoyed that. It is interesting to think about what what really works for these types of formats. Um, looking, I think like they've done some really great work with shows that had previously been on a stage, or had like the Pride and Prejudice had been written for the stage, but they turned it into something for a Zoom or platform or online platform. I saw over the summer um, songs from an unmade bed, which um, I saw in person when they did it back in, it might've been like two, I think it was like 2005 at New York Theater Workshop. It was a one person, it's a one person musical that, is kind of like a song cycle but it's it's one it's one lyricist with um different composers and uh about uh you know just one guy's um going through uh you know a, re- a relationship and they um uh, bd wong uh did it for 
uh, online, you know, filmed completely in his apartment. And I, it just worked really well um, with that format. So I think also looking at, yeah, looking at what's out there musical wise, I mean, definitely creating new stuff, but also looking at what's out there too, that um, could really work, um, you know, with, with the technology that we're using using now i i went into something uh i went into unmade bed mm-hmm. really skeptical like oh there's no way it's work. <laughs> and it absolutely does like it's actually really like i'm laughing out loud it's like really charming and and well filmed i was surprised because mm-hmm. i thought not that i didn't think it could work but like we all are right we're jaded about oh zoom musical yeah <laughs> right? yeah but it actually works really really well it's really great i recommend it yeah, did you see? Did you see it uh, live? Did you see it when it was on stage? Yeah, no, I, I, I've not seen it that way. Yeah. And I knew the, I knew the score. I knew it very well, and there's no reason it wouldn't translate. But mm-hmm. it was a, a real uh, surprise, which is great. I loved it. Mark Campbell is the lyricist, and it makes me think a lot about like just these one one person musicals, which there are not that many of them, but how they could really work. Let's move on to why is this so good? And we're going to be talking about the song That I Would Be Good from Jagged Little Pill. Uh, so why did you pick this song for why is this so good? Okay, so I guess I need to confess first, which is going to age me a little, but Alanis is like the soundtrack of my college years. Mm-hmm. So that's an important note. So... But having said that, being a, a college theater dork, right, hearing an album like Jagged Little Pill, I thought, this is this is a theater piece. I mean, not that I thought that the piece itself was theater, but I thought she should be writing theater for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a track that appears on Jagged Little Pill. It's actually on a, for a future right. album. Um, but I think... Now, for me, and then Rachel can certainly chime in, however, her experiences with this, but my experience with that piece is that both in its mental health understanding in general, but also an awareness about 2020, is this thing that we're all struggling with, whether we're struggling with mental health issues or not, it's this idea that would it be okay if the following things didn't happen, right? Like that I, you know, what if I gained weight? You know, what if I didn't really follow through on that thing I said I was gonna write? What if I didn't uh, tune into the show you told me that I needed to tune into? Like all the things, right, that we Mm -hmm. feel guilty about, that somehow we wanna know that our goodness isn't wrapped up in that. Right, that we that somehow I would still be good, and the the lyric is so. Here's the thing I really love about it: um, as contemporary of a song as it is, and this is you know still a '90s song. I'm gonna guess it's still in that same era. Mm-hmm. It's a list song, so if, if you think of Cole Porter and you're the top, right? So the whole conceit of you're the top, right, is you're the top, you're the blah 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 blah, right? There's right. the musical, there's a the lyrical language, right? Like you're the Mona Lisa, you're Mickey Mouse, blah, 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 blah. So the song 
that I would be good is the same thing. We already understand that. Like the, the conceit is that my goodness in our hope isn't wrapped up in the following list of things. And bah, let's hope it's not true. Like that's what I think is lovely about it. So to me, even though the entire album of Jagged Little Pill, like the 90s album, feels theatrical, that I would be good actually feels like the most theater piece to mm. me from that show because it feels um, character-driven and, and, um, and internal monologue like all of that feels like it's wrapped up in that. So I can go on and on and on. But are, <laughs> to me, that was my first contemporary example in a really contemporary way that felt like it was speaking to mental health without speaking about mental health. Right. Yeah, I love that. I love, first of all, that it comes from a pop album and is like such a smash bang success. Jukebox musical. It was the one I was so excited to see. Haven't gotten to see it yet. Yeah. Hope same. I get to when things come back. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I just, my, my beef with the pop world is that no one's really willing to go there a lot of the time it's very surfacey it's like you know there's a lot of like corporate control over what you know, we hear because you know all, most of the radio stations are owned by like two or three giant conglomerate organizations and and they they have really narrowed the amount of stuff that we listen to and then they're like okay well what sells romance <laughs> sex maybe what real money you know and like okay that's it and she's like well i'm gonna write about some really personal things right. <laughs> that people aren't talking about and like she took a real risk and and it, i think it really paid off and obviously it uh resonated with a lot of people and i think we're still you know even in this place where we're decent destigmatizing mental health we're not at a place where people are comfortable talking that on the level in, in their music and so that is just so refreshing to me and then also the fact that it's a pop song means that it's a little less I don't want to say less carefully crafted but I think that she was just kind of coming from a place of honesty and not a like well what kind of light motifs can I put in this that will arc it to the rest of the album because it wasn't a musical verse and right um and I just love that because it's so bare and it's so honest and it's just it reinforces that whole vulnerability and I and I love that so much and I'm so drawn into it. That's the thing about her too. So and it's still happening. Like um her new album, her new pop album is called Such Pretty Forks in the Road. And it's exact it's as smart as she's ever been. You know? Mm -hmm. Just honest i mean granted she also has the freedom of now being alanis morissette that she didn't have in you know, 1990 or what have you but having said that it's as raw and honest as it's ever been i think what why jagged little pill works in what i've read again same way didn't see it from what i listened to and what i've read is that there was not a division between a score and a libretto, right? It was understanding that the libretto would dictate the score, mm. right? There's this whole body of work that they would choose from. Um, now I think I saw an interview where when Atlantis was first approached about a musical that utilizes her body of work, she said, as long as it's not about me. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I yeah. thought, See, there's one. She's like, um, well, we're not doing a bio. Like, I'm not doing that. Right. So that the beginning of that, and then hiring Diablo Cody, like, I mean, just 
making sure the book writing is really, really smart. I think that's what sort of makes that work. And from a mental health perspective, it means that everything that Alanis was writing about that was really raw in the 90s still feels raw in the 2020s, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know all of her... I don't know her full body of work from what I know. I know Jagged Little Pill. I know uh, a couple other songs, albums, but I, I feel like she really writes of like, um, like looking at a whole person kind of thing. Like this is my, this is like my whole self, like putting that, um, and I'm just putting that out there for, for you kind of thing. And, um, as some of her other songs, I, I that's how what I get from that, and that's definitely what I get from this song as well. Like this is, this is just me, you know. <laughs> like this is my whole self. That I would be good, even if I did nothing. That I would be good, even if I got the thumbs down that I would be good even if I got resentful that I would be good even if I gained 10 pounds I love how they've taken her her version and what they've done with it for the show just in terms of like I think there's some lyric changes but also like adding just like layering voices and like how you know before it was just Alanis Morissette singing but now it's it's these characters and it, but it's not just one character it's it's now it's many characters and we have many voices and um just the layering of that um for something that is about a whole self now it's about all these, all these selves. for most of it it's about it's about the eye but and then the layered voice that comes in and the, 
the second verse is about you like um the, the lines are basically that i would that i would be good even if i did nothing even if i you know did this or didn't do this um and then in the second verse we have a character coming and saying why won't you accept who i need to be when you, everything is is fucked when you're not here um and then the last full line of the lyric is that I would be good with whether with or without you like it it it's saying it's kind of like lose like breaking with that you in that moment um which I also just lyrically thought was very emotion <laughs> emotionally powerful that I would be good even if I lost sanity I would be good whether with or without you hey. but I, and I think the original pop song doesn't have that layered part in it um, but I thought that that to me that was like I guess it just makes the song more theatrical but um, but to me that was like the whole song going from like like breaking from the having to have a you like over over there you know or wherever that you is well i think too that it provides the other side of that conversation in in a way that is honest like if someone really legitimately came to you and said i just want to know that listen if i gain like 50 pounds like during quarantine like that <laughs> That I'm still lovable, right? Like, who's honestly, regardless of how you feel, going to go, yeah, no, like, that's just not going to work for me, right? right? So I think that, but that doesn't matter, because in your, in our social anxiety and all the things that we sort of suffer through things like that, that's what we immediately think, right? That our immediate response is everyone else sees all of these faults, because to you, they're very public. They're like tattoos. Mm -hmm. So... I think having the other side of that in the musical is really smart because it's the other people saying, what? Like, you know, you don't see this or you don't see this. Well, there's, that's all we see, right? It's the thing that we sort of purport. So I think that was a sort of smart new understanding of that that just gave both sides that conversation. I love thinking about it just, as you said, like in, in this time, like, um, with everything that is that is now and and putting that in that in that context so let's move on to our final section of uh something wonderful just we've talked a lot about already about current current uh shows or things happening in musical theater but anything else that's upcoming or current that um we are excited about or want to give a shout out to two things that are, that are very different mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and one of them is David and I actually were asked to write a song for the New York Film Academy's um, new song cycle called Not Working mm -hmm. which is both a play on, on Stephen Schwartz's working <laughs> and uh, like a nod to how none of us have jobs anymore <laughs> right. in 2020 oh that's, um, that's really cool 
Yeah, so they, they commissioned a bunch of different writers to sort of write songs based on what the pandemic is, you know, and how it affects us all. And and so we, we wrote a song for that. And it's actually, they're doing two outdoor performances on Sunday. Um, and the other thing that I'm looking forward to, sort of on a, on a much bigger level and more abstract, is just the fact that we've been having all of these conversations about representation in theater um, and how to uplift minority voices. And I'm so excited. I'm, I'm very hopeful. I know that it's going to take more work than I think anyone is really planning for yet, but I think I think we're poised to see some massive changes mm. in who is going to be telling stories and the kind of stories that get told. And I'm really, really, really excited about that. I think mine are semi-abstract, too. I mean, I think, for one... Um, recently, I've been catching up on the stars in the house. Just there are so often, right? So yeah. I'm just catching up on them sometimes and hitting key moments. And I guess I'm thinking about once this is over, right? How history in this industry reflects on what Seth did, mm. right? And what that means and what it has meant during this time. And we had no idea, right? We all thought he's going to start this thing. It's going to run for two weeks. He'll, <laughs> run, he'll raise a ton of money for Actors Fund and we'll go about our day, right? Yeah. But that's not at all. Like, it's become his life, right? Right. And so, for me, I'm looking forward to how history will reflect on uh, something like that, right? that just said, we're going to take advantage of the time that we have, and people are going to see me raw in my bedroom and living room and kitchen, and that's just the reality of what the world's going to be right now. And I think that uh, that, that program in particular led the way. And I think we've all followed suit, but I think that they led the way at the beginning. And then my second one's super abstract. Like, I thought about this again the other day, but I thought, regardless of what it is we're all seeing, can we even imagine a world, right, in which we are all back in a theater together? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing that, for me, keeps me driving every day, is that we know that's coming, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying it won't feel different, but if maybe the our, our complacency about the theater needed 2020. Mm-hmm. So that when we come back, like, right, the, the sort of the lifting up about what that means and what we've lost and what we've now gained again will be new and fresh. And I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater. We'll answer your questions on the season finale. Please also email if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by taking a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at Scene2Song, and on Facebook at Scene2Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And don't forget to join us on Monday, December 21st at 7 p.m. on our Facebook page for our live Season 3 finale. Mm-hmm.